Let me read you this last little paragraph of uh, Romans 12 again. It begins in verse 18. He starts by saying, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Pretty uh, profound way to close out the chapter. Um, uh, as you, if you were with us last week, you may recall, I kind of raced you to- in the middle of verse 19, raced you toward the subject of the wrath of God, because I, as I said, it's the most hated concept that, uh, of, that we Christians hold on to. Let me just just wrap up a couple of things that I didn't what was didn't have time to say last week about this that subject of the wrath of God and we'll look at the rest of the text but folks I said you might have remember I said last week that don't confuse in your own mind's eye um, your wrath my wrath our wrath with God's wrath it, it's um, ours is usually that which is out of control um, his is a settled opposition and a hatred against sin but so don't 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 hate the thing simply because we do so poorly at it. The the other thing that the, that the wrath of God is not, or what this is not, this is not some kind of corrective discipline or chastisement that Christians experience ongoingly. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. Uh, there is a there is a, um, a, a a a discipline that God exercises on His people. Um, to um, to give them more of a hatred of sin and 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 a more of a love for himself, uh, but that's not what this is. The wrath of God, guys, is is a penal uh, infliction of suffering for sin. Um, it is it is motivated by a a, a great sense of equity, a a sentiment of um, holy anger, and a a demand for legal justice. Uh, that is, the law has to be satisfied. And all, and all three of those things combine to make retribution on the part of God a necessity. Uh, his holy hatred of sin, this sense of uh, righting what has been wrong, or has made wrong, and then this, this demand, this necessity of accomplishing all that the law demands. All of those things are woven into this exercise of wrath that, that God performs. Um, and all of it, all three of those things, are accomplished um, in the cross of Christ. That is, um, the, the, the law is satisfied. The, um, the a hatred of, um, uh, of sin is displayed. And a sense of balancing or righting what has been wrong is, is all accomplished in the finished work of Christ. Now, there's, there's one other thing that I, I want to show you that is a, a little bit of an oddity. I, I don't think we think in these terms, but I'd like for you to see it. If you can find the book of Habakkuk, um, uh, it's not easy. It's in the, it's, it's in the, it's after Nahum, uh, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. In the Old Testament, I, I just thought you might find this interesting. It's before Zechariah, or before Haggai, and then Zechariah. Or, excuse me, Zephaniah. Um, all right. But I, I want to show you this. This is in Habakkuk chapter 3. And um, 
if you know anything about the book of Habakkuk, uh, this is a real trauma uh, for Habakkuk. uh, Because he realizes that God is about to... um, He is about to discipline his people, that is Israel, with the Chaldeans. And he doesn't, he can't get that. Why is it that you're going to use a less righteous people than we to, in, to chastise us? And that's where you get this great statement of justification by faith. The just shall live by faith. And, and Habakkuk seems to get it before the book is over. And you'll notice in verse three, chapter three, verse three, he says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. Now you see that. There is this confusion. The book opens with confusion. I don't understand what you're doing, God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with you here. I don't get it. Um, and then God, he has this dialogue with God as the book unfolds. And then as the book concludes, Habakkuk says, I see that God is going to come and the, 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 his splendor has covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. You got that. When does that take place? Notice, his brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His ways, his were ever the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and in affliction the curtains of the land of Midian. He did did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse, et cetera, et cetera? Do, Do you see the point, guys? Habakkuk finally understands and says, I see that there is a moment, a moment when splendor will cover the heavens and the earth will be full of your praise. When? When is that going to happen? It's going to happen when wrath is being carried out by God. Habakkuk understands that that the glory of God can also be seen, or that is, that the glory of God is seen in the midst of this terrible vengeance. The thing that we we so recoil at, at its very mention, is the thing that, that Habakkuk sees as being a display, a display of the glory of God to the point that the whole earth is full of his praise. And the result uh, of... Ultimately, God displaying this wrath. It will be a peace forevermore in the whole earth full of his praise. It's just, it just a, um, an interesting perspective that Habakkuk has that we don't seem to um, be able to get to or to come to very easily. Um, I can rest assured that my case is going to be, ta- whatever, my, whatever my offenses are or offenses against me, my case is going to be taken up. By somebody else. So, this right of retaliation, this right of revenge, is a right that God claims to be exclusively His own. He never delegates that to anybody else. That's that's only His. And when it is done, and when it is done by God, it'll be done rightly, and the whole earth will be full of His praise. Interesting, at least I think. Now, guys, back to the text. That's enough about this wrath thing. Go back to the rest of the text with me. Um, uh, let's go back to the beginning of verse 19. I just want to show you how he begins. He begins by saying, beloved or dearly beloved. Paul is, is, is in a posture of pleading with his audience as opposed to almost teaching them. This is a different, 
This is a different style. This word that is this this Greek word that's found there is found frequently in in the the uh, the corpus of what Paul writes. But normally, when he uses it, he's using it um, as he's about to outline something very difficult, some duty that is very difficult, which is the case here. The precept that is being taught here in verses 20 and 21 is is the very opposite of vengeance. Let me read it real quick, guys. It says, um, to the the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, Instead of avenging myself, the very opposite is being asked of me. Um, Instead of avenging myself, we are to do the reverse of avenging myself. Instead of avenging ourselves, we must, we're, we're being asked to return good for evil. It's not enough for us to simply oppose evil. That's only the negative. I am also not to return evil for evil. But I am also to go on to feed and to, if my, if my enemy is hungry, I'm, I'm to do, um, I'm to do something positively good for him. And then interestingly, verse 20 includes something for which Paul gets a great deal of grief. Um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Paul is criticized for that statement. That is, is my, is my, um, is my action, is my motive for my action to ultimately increase the pain of one who has inflicted evil on me? That is, by heaping coals upon his head? Gang, um, I, I would simply suggest that w- what Paul is, intends is that our reaction, if done rightly, is going to present a real complexity to the one to the perpetrator of the crime. If I handle myself rightly, what's gonna be what's what's gonna happen is I am going to give my opponent, my enemy, um, a, a reason for pause. I am going to complicate his life by responding in a way that he would never he would never anticipate, he would never predict, and he could never perform. I am going to, I am going to heap up coals by making his life more complicated by my, my righteous response to what he's done. In the hope that my response to what he has done would, would go on to soften him. And I, I think that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind. That is, to soften him would be a happy result. Um, But the command, the request that's being made of us, folks, is not for simply emotions. It's for, it's for actions. That is, I'm supposed to move forward to do things, not just feel things. I feed him if he's hungry. I gave him something to drink. And, and of course, I think you understand that that's not to be limited to, um, to just food and water. Um, Paul has said this three times. He said it in verse 14, he said it in verse 17, and now he's saying it in verse 21. That is, that we are not to return evil for evil. 
but we are to um, return good for evil. Revenge, guys, is just another brand. It's just another form of evil. It's the way the world reacts. Um, and what Paul asks of us is not to stop at just opposing the evil, but I'm to positively respond and to, to do something positive in response. Guys, um, either we overcome evil or evil overcomes us. And the way you overcome evil is with good, according to the Apostle Paul. Um, that's what God does. He overcame evil with good. How did he do that? How did God overcome evil with good? Through the whole redemption accomplished in Christ Jesus. Um, we are to positively, uh, we are to positively respond, or to respond in such a way that the evil is overpowered by good. Now, guys, um, um, let me give you an example that I that I, that I hope will help. How 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 do we pull that off? It is so foreign, is it not? It is so foreign to the human nature to respond like this. How do we pull this off? Do you remember, do you remember the story in, it's in Luke 17 where Jesus talks about forgiveness and he says, if, um, if you're, if they, you know, forgive seven times seven, remember he, he was talking about forgiveness. I know that. And, and when, once he's finished talking about forgiveness, the, the, the disciples respond this way, Lord, I'll tell you what, if I, were to in, if I were to exhort you to forgive, what would you ask next? What would be the next thought in your head when I say, the Bible asks us to forgive? It's interesting that the, 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 the response of the twelve is this. He tells them to forgive, and their response is this, Lord, Increase our faith. Now, what does faith have to do with it? I'm being told to forgive. I'm being asked to um, to respond like this, and and there or the, the twelve is being asked to forgive, and and they ask, oh, then Lord, increase our faith. What does faith have to do with forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen? It has everything to do with forgiveness. How do I respond like that? Let me let me go back to that example. What does faith have to do with forgiving those who have offended me? Well, what's required, folks, is that we go back and remember what it is that we believe is true about the God that we belong to. We ask what he's like, what has he done, um, what, what, is the, what, is the, what is the term of his relationship with us? That is, I am being asked to think through... The, the whole message of redemption, and by my so doing, I am better able to forgive. Now, that's my point. What I'm saying, guys, is how do I pull this off? I say you increase your faith. That is, the, the way that we come to the place where we can hopefully pull some of this off is that we've got to think through again the very terms of redemption that has swept us up. For instance, guys, 
How do I do this? Well, okay. It has to do with the context in which I set, uh, I mean, the perspective in which I have towards what's happened. Okay, an, an evil has been done to me. Um, I, I, I begin to view that, that evil done to me, not so much as an evil done to me, as a, as a demonstration, I view it more as a demonstration of this person's unbelief in God. And thus, he is not ready to die. If I can come there, ladies and gentlemen, if I can simply stop looking at the offense done to me as something that I take personally, if I can view his act as something that demonstrates his unfitness to die, then maybe, maybe I can respond differently than I would if I'm simply provoked. Um, you, you overcome evil when you cease from, from viewing the, the, the evil perpetrated as a personal injury. It's not about it's not about me. Um, this this evil doer, this one who has perpetrated the evil, is a is a man who is expressing his whole inner being, and that ought to evoke something out of me that says my response has got to be such that hopefully he will be softened. I want to respond in a way that will prompt him. To, to reconsider his un, unbelieving position. That's what I mean, guys, when I, when I say increase my faith. I've got to go back and view my circumstance that this is not a personal injury. It's an injury that lying behind whatever he's done, lying behind it is his offense with, with righteousness. So if I can view it like that, then the chances are at least improved that my responses will be better. That my response might be altogether different if I can, if I can view it from a, from a, a redemptive perspective. I want to respond to his evil perpetrated to me as, as a reflection of his separation from God so that I can respond in a way that he might rethink that position that he's in. Do you see that? What, I, uh, what I'm saying, guys, is the reason I use that, that uh, increase our faith thing is how do I pull this off? The way that I pull it off is go back and review the terms of the gospel. That is, God responded to me like this. He didn't he didn't repay my evil with evil. He repaid my evil with good. All reflected in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I've got to go back and think all that through in the hope that it will change my response to. I mean, that I can supernaturally respond instead of just my normal way, which is pure flesh. God, uh, God's... Um, I was once an enemy in the sight of God, perpetrating evil 
on him and he overcame my evil with good. So I've got to go back and reflect on that. I, I, I'm telling you, it'll never be accomplished if I'd simply steal my will and grind my teeth and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be better. It's to go back and review the terms of the gospel and how this evil man was swept up and brought into the kingdom by a God who responded to my evil with good. That's our hope, ladies and gentlemen, that the hope that we can do some of this. There is nothing, there is nothing more powerful than good. Um, do you know the statement, uh, have you ever, have you ever seen this? I, I know you have. I, I mean, I, I know you've seen this. Um, the, the principle in, where is it? It's in Proverbs 15, I think, where it says, a, a sweet answer turns away wrath. Have you ever seen that? Well, that's just a small illustration of this principle. Have you ever seen somebody just jack your jaw and you respond sweetly and see them change? That's the principle that's embedded here. That my, my sweet response to their wrath would complicate their lives in such a way that they would rethink their unbelieving position. There's nothing more powerful um, than that kind of good response to evil perpetrated against us. Now, guys, um, I want to I want to close by um, um, this is a remarkable chapter, um, Romans chapter twelve. It started in verses 1 through 2 with us being called to present our own bodies as living sacrifices. And then it ends with this offering of ourselves um, in our own best efforts to overcome evil with good. Now, gang, you you might see how difficult it is to teach this because it's so difficult to perform this. It is. But when you step back and see what's being asked of us, you really marvel. I mean, I think you, we should marvel at the wisdom and the scope and the power of the gospel to do something like this. That is, <clears throat> that this gospel that we hold to and that we preach is a, is a message that will turn men and women, me and you, people who are accustomed to living only for ourselves, Turning us into people who at least desire to overcome evil with good. That, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing thing or pretty amazing transformation. Who could ever think a gospel up like that? Certainly not us. But it's a gospel that has power in it to change us into people who will desire to overcome evil with good. As, as difficult as all this sounds, we as the people of God want to perform like this. Don't we? I was trying to give you some little instruction as to how we might be more successful. But having said that, I want to read you a paragraph that came from a commentary by Robert Haldane. Robert Haldane is a is a, an old Puritan that um, I read from time to time in trying to prep, uh, in, to prepare for Romans. Uh, his his commentary on Romans is is one of the best out there. But he winds up Romans twelve by saying. Saying this, and I and I, I want to I want you to hear it. And this is this is a pretty lengthy paragraph, but just I hope it'll be beneficial. He says, in the above remarkable portion of Scripture, that is Romans chapter twelve, 
we learn the true tendency of the doctrine of salvation holy by grace, established in a manner so powerful in the preceding part of this epistle, by which men are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, let me, let me just a bit of comment. He says, we see the power of a free offal of grace free, established in the early part of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. That's where it says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. He's referring to that first part of the chapter where men are created unto good works. How beautiful is it? And how sublime when displayed in all its practical effects in the duties which flow from it. Would you not agree that this demand is pretty sublime? It's pretty, it's pretty outlandish, is it not? To respond like this. Um, how beautiful it is when we see the practical effects that flows out of this gospel that is transforming us. We may search all the works of the most admired writers, and so far as they have not borrowed from the fountain of inspired truth, we shall find in them nothing comparable to the elevated maxims contained in this chapter. Do you hear what he's, I mean, uh, you can search all the other authors that are out there, and if they haven't borrowed it from this, then you're never going to find something as elevated as sublime as what you found in Romans chapter 12. Is that not the truth? Who else is telling you to overcome evil with good? Who else is telling you not simply to resist evil, but to feed it, to to give it water? Where else are you going to find something like that? Let me read on. Um... Especially we shall not discover the faintest shadow of resemblance to the motives by which these duties are here inculcated. (laughs) You're never going to find motives like motives that are given to you in the gospel. Guys, the only motive we have to go out and seek to try and do this is the motive that I sought to describe that that we find in the gospel. Why is it? Or how is it that God has swept me, this evil man, into his kingdom? It's by good. So reviewing that, that's, I mean, that's the motive that he, that he refers to. If the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork, if the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that the heathen are without excuse, how much more clearly do the, do the scriptures proclaim their divine origin and the majesty of their author? God hath magnified his word above all his name. Do you, do you understand, guys? What he's saying is, nothing demonstrates the, the divinity of the author of this book. Nothing, nothing displays the the uh, inspiration and the divine inspiration of this book, like the duties to which we have just been called. Nobody puts together stuff like this, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody puts a gospel together like this. Nobody writes a book like this. Borrow from all the authors that you can read. You will not find profundity and sublime truths like these. 
What, what Haldane is saying is, when it's all said and done, if, if, if we're not successful in, in pulling this off, at least this much should get through. No one would require this of us except God. No human beings, every human being knows, knows how impossible are these mandates. How impossible are these precepts? And so what Haldane is simply saying is that in the precepts, and they're the scope and the width and the breadth and the wisdom contained in them, just that, just that much displays that this is a divine book written by a divine author. We, we, we've embraced a gospel, ladies and gentlemen, that is, that there's no human dimension to it. It's a, it's, God has exalted his truth above everything else that we can possibly hope to know or to understand. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is hard stuff. Yes, it is hard to pull off. Yes, it is hard to teach. But in gazing at it, you recognize you're not dealing, you're not dealing with something human. You're dealing with something altogether divine. When it can look you in the face and say, I want you to overcome evil with good. Just that, ladies and gentlemen, should demonstrate that there's, there's someone behind this book, someone behind this gospel message that is altogether unhuman. Um, it's always a privilege to teach this book, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a sacred privilege. Because what we hold on to here, even though we find it beyond us, what did you expect when you started studying this book? What, 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 what do you think that this would be comparable to Aesop's fables? No. What you find here is something far beyond, something that, that demands that there be a God that exists and lives within us before we can ever pull in any of this off. That I can relate to. Responding with good to my enemies, that's harder. But what it does say to me is, this God is, um, that the author of this book is divine and not human. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And he asks of us, we've entered, ladies and gentlemen, when we became Christians, we entered a radical ethic. This is a radical ethic that we belong to, and the only hope of performing it is as we go back again and again and review the terms of the gospel that we've enjoyed. Gang, um, there is no more motive. There is no more motive to tell you now, if you do this, you're going to, you're going to get more crowns in heaven. So do it because you're going to get more crowns in heaven. It won't work, ladies and gentlemen. The only motive is we go back and we rehearse the gospel as it as it's caught us up and swept us away into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I think you see in this very remarkable chapter. Let's quit. Our Father... Um, it is profundity with which we deal. It is beyond us, um, far beyond us. 
we can only um, we can only respond with stupor as we recognize that what you expect of us is not simply going to church and teaching a Sunday school class. You expect of us that we overcome evil with good. That we leave vengeance completely in your hands and try as best we know how to respond in a way that will give pause to our, our enemies. That they will rethink their position as a result of watching us display something that they cannot explain. Lord, um, there's so little of that among us, so little of that in me. And I pray that you will, by the power of the indwelling Holy Ghost, remind us that you overcame evil with good so that we might be incorporated into your family. Knowing that, might it give rise to a greater heart to live responsibly for Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves to that, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, and good night.